0: So we've entered into another full day of silence and practice. And again, just the encouragement to make this a very intentional day, knowing the alternative is to have an accidental day. And knowing that intention is something that We don't just make once in our life and expect it to sit there. Intention is something renewed, renewed, renewed. The intention to be here, the intention to be present, the intention to enter into the silence. It is an antidote to the sort of impulsive, reactive mind. It, It brings us to where we want to be. Whereas we really notice that impulse very often takes us to places far from where we wish to be. This morning I just want to give you a little bit of an overview of the third foundation of mindfulness, which the Pali word for is chitta. And again, it's another one of these words, very difficult to translate into English. Because chitta means mind and heart and everything that arises within that. This is obviously such such a dedicated, such an important part of our practice, you know, in this tradition when the, the Buddha said it so clearly, you know, that you know speak or act with an unclear mind and sorrow follows us. Speak or act with a clear heart. And happiness follows us like a shadow. Now, I think that we can, my sense is that it's useful to kind of have different perspectives on how do we contemplate the mind, how do we contemplate the heart. It's, it's not just one way. One way I sometimes like to contemplate the mind to heart is is almost to contemplate the mind and heart like the sky, as if it was a sky, space, in which everything arises, clouds, rain, sunshine, snow, rainbows, darkness, dullness, they all appear and they all pass away. Now, most of us would not probably be prone to argue with the weather. Or if we did, hopefully we would acknowledge the futility of it fairly quickly. It shouldn't rain today. Oh, we might say that a few times. And then we get to that point where it says, oh, it's raining. (laughs) It's not raining on me. You know, it's not personally directed attack. It's just raining. And so too, in Chitta arises the different mental states: the thoughts, the emotions, the ideas, some lovely, some not so lovely. But one of the kind of obviously basic invitations of mindfulness is not to argue with what appears but simply almost to see within the space, the sky of consciousness. These winds and weathers that come to visit, they pass away. They arise, they have beginnings, they have endings. To make our home in the knowing, in the seeing, in the sky, rather than in every single thing that appears and making the project out of. We cultivate that sense of spaciousness. Another way of contemplating citta, our mind and heart, is in terms of process. Well, look, you know, here something appears, it leads to this, it ends up here. But on a deeper level to really see the process of impermanence, of change within the mind, to see how our world of the moment is is born and constructed moment to moment, and it falls away. Another way of contemplating Chitta consciousness, mind, heart, is in terms of its components. What happens in this mind? What is it that happens in this heart? Well, we see there's a whole range of phenomena all weaving together, interrelated, there's mental states, what we call moods. There's thoughts, some like sparks in the night, some much more repetitive. There's emotions are very they range the whole spectrum of our emotions now often in the in terms of the Satipatthana, what often st- plays the starting point for contemplating teachers in terms of mental states or moods. Now, being important to remember that not all of our mental states are kind of nasty visitors. You know, there's the lovely, and there's the unlovely. there's many, many lovely mental states: spaciousness, calm, serenity, ease, kindness lightness, collectedness. There's so many lovely mental states. There's some that are actually not so lovely. Mm -hmm. Darkness, aversiveness, contractedness, obsessiveness, anxiety, fearfulness. All of these different mental states appear too. And of course our practice is to know how to welcome them all. But our practice is also to discern the mental states that lead to the end of suffering and the mental states that lead to further suffering. It's a kindergarten of wisdom. Now, some people say, well, like, why are mental states given such importance? Because they are a breeding ground. Mental states have what are called outflows. You know, mental states produce thoughts and emotions in line with the state of mind. You know, so if you wake up this morning and there's a kind of an anxious mental state, um, you know, you're not going, you know, you can almost predict the thoughts that are going to come out of that. Huh? You'll start thinking about all the things that are uncertain in your life, unfinished, incomplete, things you need to worry about. You know, it, it's going to produce streams of thought and emotion in line with the mood. If you wake up with an aversive mental state, You're very unlikely to go into the dining room at breakfast and be oozing (laughs) loving-kindness. You know, you're going to be seeing everything that's imperfect, everything that's wrong. Notice what happens with an agitated mood. It's kind of the climate of the mind, you know. Notice what happens with an agitated mood. You know, how busy you suddenly get. Hmm? You become a dedicated notice board reader. You know, you become you know suddenly remember that cell phone you put away. Oh, I could pull it out. You know, it's probably a good day to check my messages. You know, you start to have a lot of proliferation of thinking. You know, and recently on, I was teaching a retreat and somebody was having this incredibly restless, agitated state of mind, and doing things that people do with that mind. You know, reading instructions on fire extinguishers and housekeeping <laughs> manuals and. Things we would normally never entertain doing in our life. And they said they read the instruction on the fire extinguisher, and the first thing it said was aim the nozzle at the base of the fire. And we never know where we're going to find the Buddha, you know? (laughs) Aim the nozzle at the base of the fire. It's really good advice. <laughs> mm-hmm. So if you find that you're in, you know, the clues to our mental states are actually the flavor of our thinking. That's really a clue to the mind, that's, the mood, the mental state that's underlying it. Really notice the kind of flavor of your thinking, if it's anxiety, you know, if it's rehearsal, I- I- if, it- if it's a verse. If really notice. Just stop for a moment. What is the state of my mind? And I would suggest that everybody in this room right now has a mental state. No one doesn't. So you might even pause right now. What is the state of your mind? Is it spacious, contracted, anxious, calm? Because to notice that is really the beginning of the discernment of what it is that we really cultivate and deepen and what it is that we're really asked to let go of, what we're asked to be skillful with. So keep cluing in to those kind of flurries of thinking and knowing You know that thinking you know, is, a, is, again, is, is as useful and as valuable in this practice as anything else that arises. It keeps turning us back to say, what is happening here? What is going on here? What are we clinging to or identifying with? What it is that we may be asked in this moment to learn to let go and soften. To understand Chitta is so important in this practice because the shape of our mind becomes the shape of our world. To know that, and you know that with your patients and clients, that the shape of your mind becomes the shape of your world. So really just sensing these kind of shifting, changing mental states through the day and how your world shifts and changes along with it. You know, you can go from a morning where, you know, every, you know, the whole world feels filled with peace, you're so happy to be here. You know, lunchtime, you're planning your escape route. You know, something, <laughs> something else has arisen, there's a different state of mind. And the world... It keeps reflecting it to us. Now, notice with mental states, there's a certain loop that happens. You know, because if there's an aversive state of mind and it starts to produce an aversive thinking, that thinking turns back on the state of mind and reinforces the state of mind. The state of mind gets legitimized by the thoughts that are produced. And that loop will go around a few times and then it starts to pick up an I am. I'm such an angry person. I'm such a depressed person. I'm such an anxious person. So there's a kind of constructed world that is being created that is, again, I mean, John used the word virus. I call it an autoimmune disease. You know, where this is, it's looping back on itself Thoughts reinforcing mental state, mental state producing thoughts, and eventually picking up this sense of I am. That's a birth, that's a view, a self-view. Now, within those views in this practice, we're actually encouraged to cultivate a little bit of creative disbelief. Creative disbelief. It's turning those I am into a question am I am I depressed? am I anxious you know am am I aversive? It's learning to turn it almost into uh, uh, the investigation in the midst of the solidity again, okay, this is not a lot of thinking it's not a lot of speculation it's very experiential it's very off the moment you know in 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 the the kind of uh, formula that the Buddha used over and over again is in all these places where we're saying, I am, this is mine, this is, belongs to me. He says, you bring these three, question, these three questions. This is not me. This does not belong to me. This is not who I am. This is not me. This does not belong to me. This is not who I am you can hold that, you know, it's not a big another exercise or project. But it's a very experiential inquiry in the midst of contractedness, in the midst of stuckness. And you can sense the, the liberation of it because it breaks up the repetitiveness of the thinking and mind state. You know, and again, in this tradition, it, it says that the mind that obsesses becomes agitated and the mind that's agitated is far from freedom. And the mind that doesn't obsess, it doesn't become agitated. And the mind that's not agitated is close to freedom. And bear in mind that the word obsession is used quite differently in this tradition. It's like having the same thought more than once. (laughs) It's a slightly different perspective on what's possible. But we continue just to kind of come back, be here, be close to what is. Be close to what is. And it's really cultivating this possibility, as John was talking about last night, this possibility of releasing and knowing that it's not I who lets go. Just that it wasn't I who clung or grasped in the first place. It's not I who lets go. That's a terrible responsibility, isn't it? I have to let go? Was letting go? I don't have to let go. Well actually if we see that clinging and selfing are both of the same, same fabric the letting go happens in the light of awareness in the light of understanding. It's not my job. I hope you all feel a great sense of relief about that. It's not my job to let go. Letting go happens in the light of awareness and understanding. So again, really making the practice simple today. We have our breathing, we have our body, we have this moment just to be here, to more and more see so clearly this moment as it is, free of clinging, free of pursuit. Again, just settling, settling into the sitting, settling into your body. Taking some moments to to enter into this sitting in a very conscious, intentional way, dedicated to being present, dedicated to being awake, Dedicated to being close, intimate with what is, listening, hearing the sound of the rain. silence that holds those sounds. Resting in that gentle calm attending to sound to silence. In that space, that attentive, awake space, knowing your breathing, knowing your body, knowing your heart, your mind. pray to alert in your attention in this moment not being lost anywhere in anything an equal attending to all things So this will be a period of uh, walking practice. Um, if you have umbrellas, it might be nice to be outside. Otherwise, walking inside, please remember if you have a group scheduled, a group interview scheduled for 1030, and please try to show up in the room on time. Thank you, and, uh, and keeping up as best you can, A continuity in the practice. Thank <laughs> you.